the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, as we close out the week here on Abounding Grace, we have our final look at our series, What is a Godly Marriage? We're in part five, looking at Psalm 42 and 63, and the hope held out in Christ in a godless marriage. We'd love to see godly marriages everywhere. The fact of the matter is, they are few and far between. Oh, they're there, but they are the minority, sad to say. So how do we, who are not in godly marriages, find hope? Well, we have Psalm 42 and 63 squarely in our sights these past couple of programs, and today we close out our final look at part five of our series, What is a Godly Marriage? Again, we're in Psalm 42 and 63, looking at the hope held out to us in Christ. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. David said, I cry day and night because I can't go to church. David said, my flesh hurts and yearns as in a dry and weary land where there is no water because I can't go to church. Because I can't sing the hymns with the people of God. I can't give my offerings with the people of God. I can't pray with the people of God. I can't confess my faith with the people of God. I cannot hear the preaching of the word of God and the reading of the word of God with God's people. And so my flesh hurts. And my heart is like that of a dying deer agonized by thirst that can only be satisfied one way in public Worship. Because it is only in the singing, the praying, the giving, the swearing, the confessing, and the submission to the Word of God that I meet Him and my soul's hunger for God is satisfied. So I ask you, do you have a hungry heart? Are there other things you crave in life more than you crave meeting God right here at church? Are there other things in your life that you will make sacrifices in order to attain or achieve some goal? But have you ever made a sacrifice of your time, your health, your energy, and money to meet God in His sanctuary because your soul pants for the living God in His ordinances and corporate worship? David loved the ordinance of God. He loved everything God commanded him to do whenever God's people gathered to worship. And he missed those things. But please understand, beloved, he was not content with just those outward marks. It wasn't enough for him to come to church just to sing and enjoy it. It wasn't enough for him to come to church so that he could pray and enjoy it. It wasn't enough to come to church and hear the Word of God and enjoy it. God's external ordinances, 
that he has commanded are important. But David's heart did not just pant for God in these things. He loved the ordinance of God. But what his heart longed for was the God of the ordinances. So when he sang, he wanted to hear the voice of Christ singing with him. When he prayed, he wanted the consciousness of being heard before the throne of grace. When he heard the reading and the preaching of God's word, he wanted to hear it by the work of the Holy Spirit, effectually spoken to his heart. He wanted a consciousness of God's presence and fellowship with him. He wanted reassurance that God loved him and that nothing could ever separate him from that love. He loved the God whom his soul longed for and that his soul found when he sang and he prayed and listened to sound preaching at church. You see, David understood the promises of God. In the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 24, we read these words. The Lord speaks and he says, You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, where I have revealed myself, where I have commanded you to come and worship me by these means, and I will come to you and bless you. Now that's the promise. If you come to church in faith, God says, I will bless you. I'll come to you and I will bless you. You might be out there thinking, I can stay at home and worship God just as effectively as there. Really? Listen to Psalm 87, verse 2. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. The Lord loves the gates of Zion, the gates of the temple where congregational worship took place. And he loved those gates more than all the other dwelling places in Jacob. You who are believers, God loves your dwelling place. God loves your home. God loves it when you worship Him privately and individually. God loves it when you have family worship. But God loves it even more when you meet as a congregation for Sabbath worship. Some of you may be out there silently asking the question, Gary, are you saying I've got to go to church to be a good Christian? Well, beloved, if you have to ask the question, it shows you do not have a hungry heart. If you ask the question, do I have to go to church? Or if you miss church for anything that comes along, you are displaying a heart that is not hungry to beat God on the day He has set aside for congregational worship. A person with a hungry heart doesn't ask that question. Instead, he cries I, he says, I lay awake and I cry. I love the roads that get me to church. I can hardly wait not just to see my dear friends and not just because I love to sing. It's because I'm going to meet God there. And my heart yearns for God. So when you sing, sing by faith. Sing as if you are hungry for God. God says, I'll come to you in that singing. 
When you pray, you pray in faith, hunger for God. God says, I'll come to you while you're praying. When you put your offering in the plate, do it by faith. Hunger for God, for God says, I'll come to you while you're giving your offering. When you listen to the reading and the teachings of the Word of God, do so by faith with a hungry heart. And God says, I'll come to you while my Word is being read and while my Word is being preached. When you come to the Lord's table, come with a hungry heart. God says, I'll be with you at my table and I will fellowship with you. I'll satisfy that thirst. That thirst that nothing else in the world can satisfy. I'll quench it for you. You see, a genuine experience of salvation or true conversion always brings with it a delight in spending time in worship. Not only at home, not only with our families, but most practically at the gates of Zion in the presence of other believers. When a person is truly a Christian, he loves to participate in all the ordinances of worship and longs to do everything that God has commanded us to do in worship. He loves it. But now after hearing what I have said, let me also say this. Even if you love and enjoy congregational worship of God, the singing and the praying, that's not a 100% sure indication that you've been converted, that you have been truly born from above. Loving these things always accompanies new life. But simply enjoying the ordinances of worship is not necessarily a sign that you are genuinely a Christian. Leaving the worship service filled, uplifted, doesn't necessarily mean that you are a Christian at all. Let me give you some evidence from the Scriptures. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 30 through 33. Listen to this carefully. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love but their heart go after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do not do them. And when this cometh to pass, and lo, this happens in many churches, then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. God effectively said to Ezekiel, Son of man, here is what the people are doing. They love to hear you preach. They go home and say, boy, we've got a great preacher. You really need to come and hear this man. And they're going to love the songs. They're going to tell others that the worship here is just so uplifting and joyous. They look forward to coming week after week, and they leave feeling really great. Why? Because... They were merely entertained. 
Their ears were tickled by the preaching. The songs were full of spirit. They left feeling good because they were entertained. Why do you attend worship? Are you drawn by your thirst for Christ? Or do you come here to be with your friends or because you'll feel guilty if you don't come here? Do you come for the preaching? For the depth of the message? I'm sure that no one's coming for the eloquence of the delivery. But brothers and sisters, are you drawn here each Sabbath day because you love to meet God in congregational worship? Do you meet God when you come here or are you wishing you were somewhere else? Do you pant for God during the week so much so that you hurt until your desire is satisfied in true, faithful worship? Come on. Be really honest with yourselves. If you really hunger to be in the presence of God, why are some of you late week after week? And how is it possible that some of you skip this incredibly important part of your week for secular activities, for matters of no eternal importance compared to meeting with the one who sacrificed all for your redemption. And if you're out there thinking to yourself, okay, that's it. Gary's taken this way too far. If you think that missing congregational worship is no big deal, then I have to wonder if you even know God. Is your knowledge of God just a well-organized collection of intellectually astute facts about the one who created all things? Nothing more than mere head knowledge? Do you know the living God? Or are you simply unable to refute the rational theoretical evidence that best explains why everything exists? Is corporate worship merely doing merely something you do? Or is it something you feel compelled to do like breathing air or taking a cool drink of water when you're really hot and thirsty or eating a sumptuous tasty meal when you are famished with hunger? Are you here? Why? What motivates you to attend Listen to this description of worship written down by John, the disciple that Jesus loved in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. You can actually just hear here the hunger and the love and the majestic reverence. I'll read verses 1 through 7. Listen carefully. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all of you His servants and those who hear Him, both small and great. 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, say, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him honor, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. Oh, brethren, it is my prayer that you leave corporate worship knowing you met the living God. You must look beyond all the ordinances to God. David loved the courts of God. But he loved the God who came and met him in those courts more than he loved the courts. He longed for the conscious awareness of God's presence and favor in that worship. He loved communion with God, which he was not able to enjoy during that particular time of his life. And his heart ached because he was not able to meet God in the midst of his ordained public worship. Listen to David once again in Psalm 84. David is here singing about the nature of worship, and he says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lie, lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrim, pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts, church, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Do you really believe that? Is that your experience? One day in the public worship of God is better than a thousand days anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of God as someone who is simply there to open the door for others, to enter on through than enjoy all the wealth that this world offers. Is that the way you feel about it? How could a person say such a thing? Only if his heart yearns for the real God of Scripture. John Piper wrote a great book about Jonathan Edwards. In that book, he said something about worship, something that very few people understand today. He said, the essence of authentic corporate worship is the collective experience of heartfelt satisfaction in the glory of God or a trembling that we do not have it and a great longing for it. When we come to worship on Sunday, it should not be to serve and to benefit God in some way, but to be served by God. 
This is a worship service. Not because it is some service we give to God, because in it, it is a service that God in Christ renders to us. Can you afford to miss out on that? We come with empty hands to be filled, to receive whatever God wants to put in them. And whatever we receive in the worship of God is the fullness of God, not just fuzzy feelings. If we come hungry and thirsty for Him. Piper also says, God is mightily honored when a people know that they will die of hunger and thirst unless they have God. Nothing makes God more supreme and more central in worship than when a people are utterly persuaded that nothing, no money or prestige or leisure or family or job or health or sports or toys or friends or marriage, nothing is going to bring satisfaction to their sinful, guilty and aching hearts besides God. This conviction breeds a people who go hard after God on Sunday. They're not confused about what they are doing in a worship service. They do not view songs and prayers and sermons as mere traditions or as mere duties. They see them as a means to get God for more of His fullness, unquote. Beloved, why are you here? My prayer for you and for myself is that we might have the most intense, painful craving possible for God in public worship. That we might desire to fellowship with Him, to enjoy His presence. As J.A. Alexander said, He who loves the Lord loves also of the assemblies which His name is adored. Is that you, beloved? Do you truly understand that God loves the gates of Zion, the assembling of His precious chosen ones, more than all of the other dwelling places of Jacob? If you truly thirst for God, then you will love to be in His court on the Sabbath, and you will not allow anything to keep you from meeting with Him on that day in congregational worship. Do you really pant after God? then do not forsake the gathering together to fellowship with Him in prayer and singing and tithing and hearing the word read and preached. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness Fear before Him all the earth. My friends, if you do not have this thirst, this yearning for God, a heartfelt desire to worship Him, then I'm afraid your marriage will be a sham. And you will be most miserable. Because then, you will have no real motive to be the husband or wife God commands you to be. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for making our hearts hungry for you and for satisfying that hunger only in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for making us hungry for the spiritual nourishment of pure word of God. Thank you for making our hearts, our hearts hungry 
for your righteousness. Oh, but what a pathetic hunger it is. There is very little pain in it, very little anguish. Oh, Lord, help us to pant for you in your house so that when we come with your people to worship you, we might see your face. And, Lord, if we don't have such a desire, if the things I preached on today seemed extreme, overly emotional, fanatical, pietistic, I beg you to give us an honesty of heart and make us see that it is we, that it is what it is that we hunger for instead of you. And if it isn't for you, the one and only living God, then rip it out of our hearts. Extricate from us anything that we crave with equal or greater intensity than you. And Father, may we demonstrate our love for you in our marriages as we seek to glorify you in marital union and in loving service to our spouse. Oh, we pray these things for the sake of your dear son and for your glory alone, not our glory or our exaltation. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.